Hey everybody, uh, Basically Podcast. Uh, quick thing at the start of this, my audio is not going to be great in this episode. The episode after is going to be perfectly fine. Something happened. Uh, I was doing Skype this time for this podcast, and Skype messed with the Samson's audio. It just, they recorded it weird to the point that I was one decibel. I put up to 30, but there was a bunch of static and fuzz and all that stuff. But through the magic of Jinx's ability with sound, she was able to get a lot of that out of there. So it's pretty good audio, but it's not up to par to what usually we have. So you will notice I will not sound as good as normal, while our guest sounds perfectly fine. So uh, enjoy this one, it's really good. Welcome back, friends. Lascar here, and it's time for us to have another Basically a Podcast. And today we are having a podcast with uh, Jenny C. Gray, Communications Manager at Good Shepherd. Hi, how are you doing? Hello. Alright, so... What's important is I try to get guests on who, well, they know things that I don't know, which I think is education for everyone. And... (laughs) Good Shepherd is uh, Entertainment. I forgot to say their full name. Entertainment. They are a publisher who published a lot of pretty fun games. They published Monster Train. I love Monster Train. Absolutely love that game. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh, Harvey said, ooh, that's a good one, too. Uh, John Wick, that's from, I believe, Mike Bithel. That's a really good one. Yeah, John Wick X. There's a lot of really good games that... Uh, oh, Hard West is... Well. Okay, I've heard a lot of you guys' games. All of a sudden, I'm noticing. Water uh, you're a like German Statical fan. Phantom Doctrine, that's another one. Oh, wow. You, yeah, okay, so I've played a lot of your games. Apparently, I didn't realize that. So, good shot. Yeah, we're kind of unassuming that way. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like... I like um, there's some really good... I was looking at um, publishers out there. They just have really good picks and what they they have, and these are really good picks to me. I like a lot of these games I'm looking at here. Didn't realize Monster Train is like the newest hit for me. I dedicated a ridiculous amount of time playing that game. So good pickup on Good Shepherd Entertainment, I think. Yeah, no, it's 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 the thing that we're focused on at this moment. That's most recently launched. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so a lot of questions of ignorance when it comes to publishing, like what is just at the most ignorant question is what is publishing in gaming? Yeah, it's one of those like, uh, you know, behind the scenes, quite literally things that people don't think about as much. So essentially a publisher is an entity or company that facilitates the development of a game. So that means financially contributing. That means, in our case, uh, producing, marketing, providing contacts that are valuable, like uh, different composers, different artists, different uh, contractors for voice actors. It's it's the person, the thing that has like an arsenal of, you know, ways to help a, a game met, get made, essentially. Nice. So, uh. Wow. Okay, that's a lot. So it's kind of also like kind of uh, what a kind of producer kind of does stuff like that too, right? Absolutely. This, yeah. Most publishers. I mean, I can only speak generally here. Mm-hmm. Most publishers are producers as well, so they keep the schedule on track. They make sure that the game launches appropriately. If there's any issues, they help with localization. And then, of course, you know what everyone knows publishers for is the distribution aspect, making sure it gets to the right platforms, making sure that ports happen, uh, things like that. Yeah, the, for me, that's the only part I knew was the publisher, though. They put out the games that a developer makes, but I didn't know all that other stuff. So that's really cool. Yeah. How does one get into publishing? 
Well, I mean, there's different aspects of publishing for sure. There's like a biz dev aspect. So people that you know maybe go to school for that or have contacts and in that kind of way. There's usually a marketing team. Uh, so people that are, you know, maybe artistic, graphic designs, people that like to you know be in PR. Uh, that's part of that section of it. And then there's usually a financial aspect of it too, where you're providing some kind of support for developers so that they can get the game off the ground. And that's a little more financial. So there's lots of ways that you can get into publishing. All right. So, um, so there's a lot of, of course, like college ways. So like business school or management, things like that, or. Yeah, um, certainly. Uh, it, you know, the industry is a little strange <laughs> in hmm. the sense that, I mean, the gaming industry is very small, much smaller than you would think. A lot of it is, uh, you know, almost family-like. Everyone knows everyone else in some capacity generally. So if you want to get involved in something like that, and especially, you know, kind of advice for younger people, uh, you should reach out to game developers, reach out to people that are already publishers, kind of widen your circle of friends and get to know people that are doing the thing that you're really interested in doing. And it really is kind of like getting your foot in the doors who, you know, in a lot of ways, of course, because it's a small industry. Okay. Well, so just trying to just talk to them. Um, so like how much would formal education be important uh, compared to just I don't know, skill or ability to learn? Um, well, you should have a base, but there's definitely a lot of opportunity to widen your scope. For us, um, we've traditionally focused on, I would call them triple I, like indies that are larger indies, like uh, John Wick Hex, somebody like that. So for us as a smaller team, no one person usually focuses on completely one thing. We all wear a lot of hats. Like, for instance, I'm the communications manager. So I write a lot of things, um, our website, etc. But I'm also the graphic designer who does all the stuff for social, making sure all of, like, if we have an art asset that needs to be done, um, I'll help our uh, marketing director sometimes. They will usually reach out to, like, a contractor for key art. Uh, and things like that. But for our end, I do a lot of the graphic design. I do a fair bit of the video editing um, in the past. Uh, social media, do our social media, um, work with our teams, our community teams to help uh, play test games, early alpha stuff. Like everyone wears a lot of hats in, in, in this industry and in publishing in particular, usually. Oh, cool. So, you, okay, so you did, so you've done... So for like the Twitter itself, you did their banner and did you yeah, make like, their logo or? For which game are we talking uh, for, uh, for Good Shepherd Entertainment. No, I did not. That's actually Walter um, Kostiak, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah. Um, he was a friend of our uh, creative, I think our creative director, chief creative officer. And he's also a friend of mine as well. He's done like many logos for me. So again, it's somebody that we kind of knew and he's really um Quite well known in the industry actually for doing logos um if you ever look him up i think it's it's two designs something like that um but yeah so so it's kind of like okay well there's a circle of people that you get to know that are really good at what they do and then you can kind of call on them to help with stuff but yeah like assets if you're looking at our um i don't know if you're looking at our twitter feed like most of the stuff like little short videos gifts i've done mm -hmm. um art all that stuff a lot of it's graphic design okay yeah looking at it now yeah, I'm writing all the text for that. Everything, so. <laughs> oh, ooh. <laughs> okay, now I'm nervous. <laughs> no, just, just thinking about uh, as as someone who, as a content creator, just making your own tweets and then uh, having to make tweets for a company. 
Like, what are the are, are there like eggshells, or just is it very formulaic, or? Um, well, different uh, brands have different feels. You know, that's more. We're now we're getting to the land of social media, but mm-hmm. uh, different brands have different voices and different feels, and it's important to work with the developer to kind of establish, you know, what they how they want to sound and, and what is important to them. So sometimes developers will do their own social media. Um, in this case, like Monster Train is me. I'm, I'm running Monster Train uh, community for mm-hmm. helping out with them. Um, they're super active on Discord and really focused on like talking directly with the community for you know, any kind of feedback they have on the game and stuff like that. So I'm handling some of the other items like social media. Um, but yeah, so it's really fun to have a voice, you know, like Monster Train. So I get to be Monster Train every day, as well as Phantom Doctrine, as well as Good Shepherd, as well as some other things. So it's really cool to, you know, as a publisher, we get to help out and kind of do aspects of that that allow the team to really focus on the important things which are making the game. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, all right. So just looking at Monster Train, like, uh, this one, like, it's one of the little, de- the little imps, and he's got a bunch of hearts around him. So you made that? <laughs> My intern Amy made that, but yes, we okay. we the collective have made these things. There's a thing I've 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 heard from also artists where they they try to get a manager for their their other things so they can focus on art. Because like sometimes developers are just not the most social people. I'll say. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes that's true. Sometimes they do run their own accounts, but you know, we've been lucky. Like the Monster Train team, Eugen is their creative, one call him creative director, the person who does the art for them. So if you scroll through there, like all those cool creatures that you're seeing, like all that, there's there's a lot of artists that are really working on stuff like that, and they kind of give you good things to work with if you're going to do graphic design. Like, hmm. cool. I'm going back to, uh, let's see, a publishing question. Oh, yeah. So, maybe it's both. Uh, when it comes to publishing and, and game devs, is like your scouting devs or devs going to you guys? Is it just both of those things? Both of those things, yeah. Sometimes teams come to us um, looking, you know, to talk about their game and pitch their game. Um, for us as Good Shepherd, uh, the way we work is a little bit different in the sense that um, we have IPs sometimes or cultural properties that we license. And then we look for developers that we feel like are the right fit for that particular IP. Like let's say John Wick, uh, you know, we're working with Lionsgate. We have this really cool, you know, idea that we want to make a game about John Wick. And then we're looking for the right uh, developer that can come up with an idea, uh, an original idea on how to kind of reimagine that IP in a way that is successful. So that's how Bithel Games comes in, where they have this wonderful strategy on you know, how John Wick is is more literally a strategist and how he's you know really thinking about every single move he makes, and he's you know a very like deliberate guy in everything he does. And then they come to, you know with that idea, and that's kind of a way to reimagine some things. Right. That's that's pretty cool. I'm wondering if uh, also it's for that it's maybe uh, I would assume some people in publishing are gamers too, and they get a, a sense of what some game devs have done with their past games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are most of us gamers, and you know, we want to make games that we actually want to play. <laughs> no. So yeah, so we're we're playing everyone's games and you know not just as a publisher but as fans and yeah it's it's a real thrill to work with people you know in development studios whose games that you really love you know like thomas was alone it's a great game oh. so so yeah yeah it's really neat thomas alone is such it was 
such a game, a good game back then. It, uh, it really got me when I got through the whole thing. That was a pretty good game. I like that one. Uh, okay, I can't, I can't think of... Is there anything uh, important to impart about, like, advice for publishing, uh, getting into it, or... Well, anything I might see. be missing? <laughs> no, no. Um, one of the things I love about publishing is I'm the kind of person that wants to be on the ground floor of new things. Like I get bored fairly easily. And so I've worked in the industry in other games where I've been, um, you know, in the com community manager, let's say for, you know, I've worked for an MMO, other games where, you know, you kind of stick with that game. It's, it's usually a roughly a two year developmental process to make a game. And then that game will launch. And then, you know, maybe five years total that game's kind of being played really actively. And there's a lot of people talking about it. Uh, and so you're really kind of part of that, um, embedded in that for a long time. And there's definitely advantages of that. You really get to know the community and, you know, be kind of close with people. Um, and, and, you know, of course, the game really well and you can speak to it. Um, but one of the cool things about publishing is that, you know, we work with several teams at once and go through that process together. Sometimes they come to us maybe a year in development. Sometimes it's right from the beginning. So you're with them and you get to know the team that's making the game. Uh, and then that game launches and we support that game after launch, but we also have like other games coming in. So it always feels like, you know, something exciting is being made any given time and you don't get bored it's always something new something you know coming through many things at once that really does sound exciting like that just being a part of the whole thing just sounds really fun to me um oh okay now i remember uh i'm not sure if this is a question. just when it comes to the price of games the publishers have to decide like what what, what do they take into account when they think of pricing Oh, the existing market, um, what other games that are of a similar nature are costing right now. Um, of course, the economy and you know where we are right now is a sort of strange time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, those are definitely part of it. And then platforms themselves, um, you know, it depends where you're launching first, things like that. All right. Um, also, uh, when it pertains to Steam, like when sales happen. <laughs> yes. When does yes. the do that? Um, well, the, I mean, it seems pretty typical in the sense that, you know, they always have a summer sale and a winter mm -hmm. sale and a spring sale, and then there's a you know, lunar sale, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, you can kind of predict that. And as someone who buys games myself and, you know, sometimes financially you know, challenged, uh, yeah. you definitely want to like look for that time. Um, usually when games launch, they're on a discount too, you know, like anywhere from 10 to 25% off. It's a great time to pick something up for those, that short cycle. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a consideration. Um, Steam is kind enough that, you know, you're you're working with them, too. So there's a certain amount of time, a certain amount of times a year that you can say, like, hey, I want to put my game on sale. And, you know, you have some control over that as well. Um, yeah. Huh. Uh, another aspect I want to ask about would be uh, when it comes to, I can't, I'll use the word influencers. Uh, yeah. How I got access to a number of Good Shepherds games is, as my content creator side, my influencer side, I was given the codes to these games. I was given uh, codes to Hard Reset, uh, Monster Train, uh, Hard West, some of these games. Um, how does it work for... Uh, when it comes to that side of things... 
you have influence to seek. Mm. I don't word this. <laughs> like, do you seek out you're... influencers, or you just like yeah? Do you see if the big yeah, ones yeah. want to do it besides all the smaller guys and things like that, or? Um. Yeah. I, I mean, usually you have a list of people that you know are experts in a in a genre, and that would be really good to reach out to their existing audience because they play this type of game, and you certainly want to contact those people and you know offer them a, a chance to play something you know, at launch. And you know, it's it's great to make sure that people hear about your game, of course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have you have a list of people that you'll probably reach out to as a publisher um, through your PR company, or in this case, we have like a really great influence relations person, Clara Sia. Uh, you know, Sandbox is, is one of our PR companies, Indigo Pearl. So you have people that are spreading the word in the form of press release to, you know, people that would be covering it. You have people that are reaching out to influencers that, you know, are known to play this type of game. And then usually you'll have something like key mailer for smaller influencers where they can hit that site and request that they'd like to play this game. And then you send them keys directly through that site. Okay. Yeah, that, that's how they got me. Um, let's see. Uh, are, okay, are fellow publishers seen as like, Friendly competition, rivals. Uh, <laughs> are you asking above? for frenemies? Yeah, like, <laughs> it, like, are just other other publishers like a like are there ever just they're fighting over a dev? Or, I don't know if that's too personal. That's just uh, what are they seen as? Uh, I guess frenemies is what they're seen as, or. Well, developers will usually come to several publishers at once um, and pitch their game and then kind of, you know, it's in their best interest, of course, to choose who they feel like it's best to work with. Um, some of that's financial consideration. Some of it's, you know, well, publishers have a, a, a type of game, a type of feel yeah. that, you know, a lot of their games embody. So you might want to go to that publisher because you fit that descriptor. Um, if you're looking for that. So there's a lot of reasons that people choose the publisher that they do. Um, but certainly there's competition. Um, yeah, you you all know each other in the industry. And oftentimes you'll be called on to speak on panels together about publishing. And, you know, you get to know people. There's a lot of cool people that, that I know at other publishers. Yeah, because I'm thinking of uh, when I think of other publishers, like I'll think of Datalic. There's a special kind of style to the games they have or calypso media digital um or what's the, uh, i'm trying to think of another one they do uh, like rise of kings but there's like there's something like they're all about something around the realm of like total war so if you're a developer doing that you of course would go over there i suppose mm-hmm. uh, and do but when you have like a certain flavor to what you publish uh do you try to branch out or is it just you just once you find your niche of what people like about your games is that just where you stay or i mean i can't speak for other publishers Mm -hmm. but um it's not really been the case with us i mean we have pretty diverse catalog i mean you're talking about like where the water tastes like wine on one hand and then phantom doctrine on the other hand uh transport fever 2 is one of our really popular games which is a you know a tycoon simulator where you're you know basically creating transport from like 1860 for several hundred years. So there's a lot of different kinds of games, which is great because, you know, honestly, if you're working for a publisher and you're not like a particular genre expert, you would 
be kind of awkward to have every single one of your games be that. Um, I do a lot of live streaming for us, uh, sharing the games, you know, when they come out and during sales and things like that. So it's nice to have a variety of things that I can stream. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, uh, how is it when, as a company, streaming? Like, what kind of what kind of chat do you guys deal with? Oh no, it's a, it's usually pretty good to be honest. Like. Okay. Um, one of the things we do is like every every Thursday, I think it is every Thursday we have a Monster Train stream with the developers, like a Q and A, uh, and people will come in and then ask, you know, whatever they want. So that's pretty frequent with games that we'll have developers, you know, on and and sometimes streaming, and they'll answer questions. So most of the time, people are pretty polite. I mean, I'm lucky that way. That's cool because uh, I know sometimes the chat can be. And take it depending on, I guess, on on their whims. But yeah, people like <laughs> turn around when they know you're the publisher. It's like you know, it's like if your parents in the room and you're just like, then you're like very turn around. You know, people are like, oh, um, I meant that the game had some <laughs> strategic problems. Like, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So most of the time, people are pretty nice. I mean, the worst is usually YouTube. Like, if you release a trailer, um, there's a lot of you know discussion especially depending on the platform that it's releasing for like if it's an epic exclusive or you know if it's oh. only for ps4 and not for xbox like people have obvious thoughts about that and that's usually where you'll see a little bit more of that but live streams we've been lucky yeah, it makes sense especially if it's something they want and they can't play it like that always works. <laughs> exactly how can you get mad at that though they're just like i really want to play it where i'd like to play yeah. um because i want to play it I'm like well okay you're excited for the game that's what it, i'm reading there yeah i always feel more disappointment like uh for me it's i have i have access to everything but playstation so all those amazing playstation games are like well i wish i could play them oh, i understand i i'm like really late to the game when it comes to switch uh, i have a ps vita i was pretty loyal to my vita <laughs> and i was like oh you know i don't when I, I travel a lot, but I really don't play it that much. I'm like, do I really want another handheld console? Uh, then I'm not going to play, even though I'm publishing games for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I finally broke down and got a Switch recently, and then, you know, <laughs> put it in its dock immediately, so it was on my TV, like any other console. And, yeah, yeah, I understand. Like, there are so many games that came out, like Breath of the Wild, where just like, I really want to play this, and it's not available for anything that I have. <laughs> so, I get it. Yeah. How, oh, okay. How has Epic affected things? <laughs> affected things, like what in the in the realm of competition? Uh, the, yeah, I guess in the realm of competition, how it affects uh, publishers as well, because of course it was just Steam. Well, there was of course there was GOG and all the other guys, and then Epic comes in, going like, "We want to be direct competition with Steam." Yeah. I, honestly, I'm not in a great position to talk about that mm. other than to say we do have some games that come out that are Epic exclusive. That's more of like a, if you want to work the numbers on whether that's worth it for a developer, there's definitely a lot of thoughts on that, but I'm not your, I'm not your expert on that. Okay. I'm curious about that, but I don't know who I would ask about that. I guess the an economist uh, <laughs> in a company would be the best person to ask, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's people in publishing, like we have people that are, are actually writing the contracts and making the deals, and they could probably speak to that, but I yeah. don't have any part in that. Okay. Uh, within the way of publishing, um, 
I mean, trade shows. We do. Ooh, oh, right. I didn't think yeah, about that. Back in the day when, when <laughs> there were trade shows, you know. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> back in my day, we used to go to PAX. <laughs> so, like, been a- uh, I'm sorry. You're saying PAX? <laughs> yeah. Um, PAX, Gamescom, E3, I don't know, all the biggies. Uh, we Publishers are often responsible for the booths, oh. booth design. So, I'm sure. You know, you've seen us at some shows that you probably didn't realize, but we're actually pretty well known for having some pretty cool booth designs. But yeah, that's the thing. Like, we'll we'll do trade shows for developers, uh, set up you know stations for people to play the game and um, get the word out that way. We're sort of moving away from that as as situations change, but that's <laughs> yeah. something that publishers do a lot. For sure, I've had uh, I go to Comic Con primarily. And it's been a great experience meeting with game devs or publishers at, at booths and being asking a bunch of questions and them knowing a bunch of things. It, I think that's just a really good experience. I think it's a good goodwill game, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can learn a lot by people's reaction. You know, usually by the time you're showing a game, it's fairly well along, but mm-hmm. you can... You can get people's feedback if you're interested in like a specific slice, which is good. Um, just general reception too, because that's definitely a competition and target heavy atmosphere. So, you know, if your booth's got a line all the way around, then you know people want that. Yeah. Okay. Um I I suppose advertising is a thing to ask, I suppose. Um yeah, has has the, I guess the landscape has really changed on advertising at this point. It's more social media stuff and uh, maybe banners. Does does anyone do banners anymore for ads? Yeah, ad banners for sure. Yeah, um, all of the social media platforms you know that your typical ads are on is something publishers will arrange um, with ad agencies. They will track all that stuff for you, uh, do A/B testing, see what you know people are responding to. Um, publishers usually come up with the messaging of how a game is conveyed. I think that's all I can think about for publishing questions. Uh, unless there's any gaps, you think that are worth mentioning for for anyone who's interested in publishing? I mean, maybe user testing. It might be, like, an aspect that people don't know about publishing. Like, generally, um, a developer will, you know, want community testing, uh, or they'll want, you know, and or, probably plus and, uh, professional QA, which is something that publishers will also arrange uh, through their contacts and people they work with normally. And then that gives you kind of any, you know, let's call it supporting the game. So okay. that's during the development stage um, when when you have feedback that you'd like on certain areas for design or also bug check, things like that. And then once the game launches, it's really important to get immediate response from the community on you know what what they're what they're thinking about the game, but also if there's anything that you know needs attention, especially immediately. Um, you know if there's a problem with actual you know exe files, like people can't download things all the way from localization isn't quite right, or maybe there's you know some bugs, or sometimes it's just like hey this design is problematic, and you know we're having 
understanding issues or we can't play it the way that you're conveying it. So there's a lot of feedback back and forth once a game launches directly with the publisher and you're usually speaking to a publisher on that and they're sort of curating that feedback back to the developer so that they can make any needed changes. Oh, uh, I have a question. Uh, Localization. Yeah, that's a publisher thing too, yep. Um, is the uh, my understanding? I could be wrong. This is that the EU is a nightmare to localize. <laughs> in in Europe, yeah, getting localization. Um, no, I mean I don't. I haven't heard anything odd like that. I mean, generally, there's like specific languages that most games are localized into and you kind of have the teams that already are expecting that so once a developer completes a game and they have the entire strings of you know all of the text that's available and they send that out to be translated into you know various languages it's it's pretty expected it's something we normally do um and then there's additional languages sometimes a lot of fans will request something and then you'll go back and you know release that later so there's always listening back and forth on okay, well, what does the market need right now? And what are the fans saying? And hopefully they align. Cool. All right. Now I think that's everything. Well, everything I can think (laughs) of as far as that goes. So hopping to a different area, uh, more uh, you, uh, looking at your things, uh, you do a podcast as well. I do, yes. And uh, you have uh, 124 episodes on yours, I believe? (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) I don't don't what? even know at this point. Out of curiosity, what's your podcast about? Um, have you ever seen Inside the Actors Studio, like old school James Lipton? Oh, that's part. That is honestly part of the in- uh, the inspiration for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So I've been doing this. I want to say like eight years or so, um, where developers will come on the show, talk about their inspirations. Um, not usually about a specific game, but about them in the industry, how they got started. You know um, what why they do what they do, who they are as people. It's it's really focused on a developer individually, um, a, one of the people. And then, you know, the shows are kind of built around that. And, and it's like a get-to-know-you personal interview. Ooh, okay. So that's basically what I want to do. So now I need to listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, now I need to listen to yours because that's, that's basically what this is sort of. Like, I want to just interview people and just get a yeah. good understanding of of uh, their expertise, but also them. So now I want to listen to your podcast for sure. So pushing more on that, though, uh, what's your experience uh, in having podcasted for, you said, eight years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, for me, like, eight years is, is a long time for the industry to change, you know, mm-hmm. back then. Back then, podcasts were, like, the hot new thing. Now <laughs> Everyone has a podcast, and you and I are competing against like everyone, you know, yep. against everyone. Every, like moms in Utah, like yeah. have podcasts. Everyone has podcasts. Um, but yeah, so for me, this was like a way. Um, I have a fine arts degree, so I graduated and got into graphic design, and it was really not where I wanted to be. Uh, and I was, I'd been a gamer since I was young, and really liked games and uh, like the creative aspect of you know the people that made games. So. I wanted to kind of get into that industry and do, you know, talk about some of the things that I loved. So for me, making a podcast was like, hey, I want to talk to the people that are making the things I'm really excited about. So I started that and sort of broke into it, ended up getting, you know, a lot of guests from really big 
you know, names to indie small companies. Like I had a big gambit, but that was a way for me to kind of get to know people that were in the industry, hear some really cool stories. And then also, you know, they know me. So that was my way of kind of getting where I am now. Ooh. Wow. But that's, that's basically what I've been doing, but more with, I guess, uh, content creators. So YouTubers and streamers and things like that. Yeah, I see you do some streaming too, right? Yes, uh, I do streaming myself like every day. I do it too much. Um, okay. Uh, but just, yeah, this, uh, I want to, because gaming has been my thing too. I, I've been in gaming for so long, so I want to talk to everyone I can. And like, I just, well, with this one, I went like, uh, anyone a good shepherd want in? <laughs> and I got <laughs> you. So that was, that was great for fortuitous to meet you and uh, learn all this. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's it's fun to talk to other podcasters and other people that are interested in learning things. Oh yeah, like um, speaking of well, let's let's say streaming because you stream too. Uh, well, streaming for a company uh, as yeah. well. It's uh, do you have to stream on every platform? Is it, is it like Twitch? Well, it used to be Mixer, uh, YouTube as well, or do you just pick a play? Well, I suppose you try to do everything, or how's that all work out? Um. Sometimes I had streamed on simultaneous caffeine and Twitch, but lately we've been doing Twitch and Steam. Steam has a streaming platform as well, you oh, probably know. Uh, so through Restream, I can just dual, dual wield it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a way for us, you know, especially when a game first launches, it's really cool um, that Steam has this feature where, you know, if you're looking at the game page and you're shopping at on the game page, you know, the stream opens up and it's at the top. So you can literally watch the game you're thinking about getting and, you know, get a better look and say like, okay, well, is this really something that I want to play? Well, hey, now I can watch it, you know, all in one place. So that's, that's a great thing for people that are shopping. At least I use it when I, instead of looking up, you know, gameplay for X on YouTube, <laughs> you know, do I really want to pay that money? You know, now you can see it. Yeah, that has been a real nice feature of, of the Steam stores, having that, for sure. I agree. Oh, okay. Getting, uh, getting guests for you, is it like... Do you... Is it just through friends, and then you just branch out from there? Or, like, I guess people that you know? Or have you done, like, just email... Like, I've emailed companies, like, anyone interested? Like, things like that, or is it just... What's, what's worked for you <laughs> is, I think, the best question to get guests. Uh, well, I mean, if you're talking about eight years ago, I mean, that's pretty lean where you're just trying to, like, have people on that you meet and know. At this point, like, I have contacts with most of, of the, you know, developers. So I can kind of reach out and say, like, oh, hey, anyone feel like talking about, you know, Ghost of Tashima? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can have somebody on um, for that. So... Now that I'm on all the press lists and everything, like I usually get all notifications when something cool is coming out and, you know, someone might want to talk about it. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm really lax at this point because it's one of those things like when you work in the industry, you just don't have time to do the things mm. like for you. So I used to put out a show every week and that was my thing. Now it's like, you know, three months will go by and I'll put a show out and Sometimes I'm essentially doing the Gray Area podcast, which is the name of my show, for Good Shepherd. So I'll be interviewing, like the last, uh, I think it was a month ago, um, for Monster Train, I had uh, developers, the the co-owner of Slay the Spire on uh, to talk 
to the to the developers of Monster Train, and they were it was launch day, so you know they were like talking about the game, and you know they're big fans of each other, so <laughs> talking about like you know playing and where they are and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm asking them the same kind of questions that I'm asking people, you know, on my show. Uh, so sometimes it kind of has a crossover in that way. That that's really cool. Well, well the nice thing is you get to use your skills uh, for your job. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's useful. I mean, you'll find it like. I don't know what you want to do when you grow up, but yeah, <laughs> definitely the skills will transfer. That's nice. That's really nice. Uh, also, just you got to have those people talking. That's really cool because Slay Aspire is awesome. Monster Train's awesome. So that's that's <laughs> awesome. Is the only word I can use on that. That's cool. Nice. How did you decide on the name of your podcast? Well, I mean, my last name is Gray, so it was oh. like made to happen right that, that, that's really good that's really good <laughs> <laughs> it's even better when you get to use like your name and a thing that really helps out yes sure suddenly i can't think of any examples but it sounds great <laughs> I know it's always something <laughs> you, you never it. forget i mean there certainly is that right yeah well that's just a good one um any luck with like stitcher or with the big ones, I suppose, like how you, because I think only Stitcher is the only one I think where it's more of they you have to be really cool to get in. Well, everyone really? else is like, what? I was on Stitcher like early, so I don't know. Oh, like, okay. It was it was a a new platform mm. when I was on there. I mean, iTunes I think is really like the the place mm. generally where most people download. But I mean, it's an RSS, so any RSS reader will do. I mean, I have a website, but it's you know, wherever people listen, you know, pod, pod bean, um, what's That's the new me. thing now? Like all over my heart radio. I, I have it on there mm-hmm. like, everywhere. Yeah. Like, uh, as far as I know, like I heart radio, they like, well, what's, I think uh, all our assists, we just go there. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Cause they, cause our, I, I, I heart radio, I think is the one that wants to be the end all be all from what I can tell. Because they really push for it since they're, of course, radio. So um, yes. they want everyone to know that whatever you want, it's over there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a hard time for podcasts right now. Like, I don't spend as much time looking at, you know, my statistics because, honestly, it, you know, I don't <laughs> care that much anymore. Yeah. But, you know, right now, most people would listen to podcasts when they were driving on their commute. At least that's where I do. You know, I have podcasts yeah. I listen to. It's usually when I'm driving, and that's certainly happening less because people are, you know, home for the pandemic. And you would think maybe they would sit and listen to it while they're working, but honestly, I feel like commutes are. It's just my instinct that that's a place where people listen more. So I feel like listenership of podcasts is is challenging right now. I think that, I that sounds that. yeah, that sounds pretty true to me because uh, when I did. One or two years ago, there were hour-long commutes. Like, one to two hour-long commutes. Two, and then from... And so I was definitely listening to a lot of podcasts then. You're right on that one, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot less people driving right now. (laughs) There's way less people driving right now. Yep. I I am curious to see uh, what our current situation is. We'll do... To a lot of companies, because I know, I know people from that are like they work for Sony, 
and mm-hmm. all the stuff, the ser- everything is in house. They they can't take any of their work home. So I'm not really sure how they're dealing with it right now because they can't actually oh. talk about it at all. Actually, yeah, things are definitely slower when you're reaching out to distribution platforms um, as everyone makes that transition. Um, yeah, it's definitely there are there are delays, uh, COVID delays on games and getting it where it needs to be for sure. Um, thankfully, people are being pretty patient about that, which is nice. As, as they should, considering it's, it's a virus. So hopefully yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it depends. Like, for us, I mean, our company is based in the Netherlands oh. for its, its, like, parent um, part, and then we have an, an office in Austin as well. But so most of my colleagues, I mean, we're, we're generally remote, um, global. So we're used to dealing with, you know, Slack and we're used to dealing with, you know, all the tools already set up for us that make it pretty easy to just keep on going. And things are even busier, uh, in the industry than they were, I think before. Uh, so, you know, for us, it's not too bad a transition, but there definitely are places that it, it's, uh, it's a lot of scrambling. I mean, I'm sure Valve at Steam probably has a lot of scrambling to do mm-hmm. to get ready. And, you know, you never think about that, like all, all of the other, <laughs> all of the other places that need to get things set up for your game to go. I'm also curious about uh, what this does for, uh, might I be something you haven't just, a thought that's going out there is just the budget for cons. Like, they're not yeah. going there, so I wonder what happens with that, or if they're going to, or maybe some publishers are trying to do, like, we'll use that money to just do more advertising in general or something like that. There are digital game shows right now. Um, oh. I believe that they, there's an article that just came out last week about E3 saying that that was actually much more successful in terms of sales for game developers than an in-person meetup. Um, so I, I believe this is probably an isolated incident because of the situation. I don't anticipate that conventions would go digital from now on or anything <laughs> like that, but it was good to hear that, you know, people were still finding success and getting the word out, um, even in a digital show like that. So, you know, recently, um, we had one as well, Gorilla Collective, which where was a bunch of like more indie based publishers that got together and did a whole weekend full of reveals. Um, we announced uh, the Eternal Cylinder was coming to PS4 and Xbox One. So for us, that was like where we would have normally, you know, announced something during a big show. But for us, that was a way to get the word out that this game was going to be coming out. And you know, so far it's been pretty successful. People are aware, which is good. Oh, that leaves a question. Um, do publishers help with porting? Is that all on the devs to figure out, or um, developers? will actually do the work for it, but we do sometimes bring in people to assist with the technical mm. side of it as well. Like it depends how focused they are on whatever they're doing like post game. Um, but that's one of the cool resources is like you have people that can bring like for now, there's certain games that we have, you know, a switch port coming out. So we'll have someone come in and they can help, you know, to do the actual technical stuff for that port. So it depends. I mean, that's all really kind of like a decision developers make if they need that. Okay, so, like, the, I think one of the big lessons, I think, coming from this is just publishers are really important <laughs> to, to game <laughs> development. Like, and just getting the games out there, that's what I'm really hearing, for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, you can see like the smaller indies that are doing it all themselves with 10 people. I mean, that's a real challenge to be like everything, to do the development, to do the marketing, to do the social media, to do all the porting, to get everything out. I mean, that's why it's like a really saturated market. It's really hard if you're an indie developer to, you know, strike that perfect note to get your game seen and in in this market. So it's... Ooh great if you can have a publisher who has all of these resources and all this expertise and people that can help you you know that's like the purpose of a publishers like we have these developers that really just want to make something they love mm-hmm. get it out there and you know <laughs> they're really focused on doing that so we can do all the other things that enable them to do that a more personal question uh how much does it break your heart when a really good indie game comes out and it's just not getting the love it deserves a lot. <laughs> yeah, especially mm. if it's a game like I personally love. Mm. Or, you know, it's worse if I know the developers. Like, mm. you know, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, well, Billy. <laughs> Billy just put two years behind, you know, this thing. And, you know, he, now he's got to face the reality that it's not going to be everything he dreamed it would be. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like about the process. And, you know, I hope that developers take the time to kind of enjoy fact that there's they're making something that's going to come out and for some it's you know hopefully satisfying to at least like create something that didn't exist then now it's out and then some people love it but you know adulation of the community doesn't always equal financial success Mm. like they don't always pair perfectly i mean you hope you know you hope that you pick your publisher and you hope that everything goes wonderfully it doesn't always um but you know that's the challenge of being like a self-published indie dev is gotta do it all you know that's that's one of the things that um it's very unfortunate when when any dev they they fail but that's uh, also you got to fail to learn things and succeed are there any like really good like rebound stories oh yeah like isn't final fantasy a rebound story like wasn't that did they make that particular studio i mean i have to look this up and you should absolutely verify it (laughs) after my story but my my along the rumor mill story was that there were, you know, the developer had made a bunch of games, none of them were financially successful, and they made this one, they called it Final Fantasy, because this is like the Final Fantasy game they're ever gonna make. And hey, guess what? Boom! It hit. Now we have, you know, Final Fantasy a million and a half. That that sounds very close to what I believe I've heard for Final Fantasy. Or like um, Fire Emblem, which uh, you might get more familiar with eventually since you have a Switch now. Uh, uh, Fire Emblem. I think it was Awakening. Uh, it was going to be the last hurrah. It was going to be the last Fire Emblem game they were going to make. So they put in every idea they had, and it was a huge hit. So now we have Fire Emblems getting uh, shoved down our throats now because <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's the thing too. Like, very few developers, you know, hit it it's the first time they make a game. I mean, it's kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. Usually. You know, that's why game jams are so cool. It's like you can go there and make a bunch of games and, you know, see how they do and everything. And, you know, hopefully you build a portfolio so that some of your games will do well and some of your games might not do well. But, you know, as a developer, you just keep making stuff that you're inspired to make. And maybe not they're not all golden gems, but hopefully you're learning by making. Yeah. So, like, I hope Ed, every dev that fails eventually gets a win somewhere. Is my <laughs> hope. I'll, I'll believe that. Uh, but it is nice when they do make it out the park the first try, like Mike Bithel with Thomas Was Alone, or Lucas DePope with uh, Papers, Please was a good hit when it just came out of nowhere. 
Yeah. What I want to say, just because uh, for for anyone who's a viewer of this podcast and um, that know me, I'm a big fan of Kirby. Or so how how Laboratories. They had a situation like that too, where they went way. They spent way too much money on this big big game they wanted to do, like a passion kind of game they wanted to do, and it failed miserably. And then they fell six million yen into debt, and. Instead of filing bankruptcy, Nintendo bought them. And then... But they still had to pay back the debt. And mm-hmm. thankfully, uh, Kirby happens the next year. So... Nice. Kirby's Dreamland, and then that entire franchise just comes from <laughs> the lowest low that company was in. And now Kirby, of course, makes a bajillion dollars. Yeah. Uh, I'm, it's, I'm one a those, thing. it's one of those things like... Like an artist, you know, you have to just really love what you do. And it's not like a lot of money necessarily. I mean, it depends on your position and, mm-hmm. and what you're doing. But, you know, it's really something like hopefully you love this because, you know, this is the thing you should get joy out of because that's it doesn't always, you know, you never know, like as a small indie company, but you never know. But that's again, that's why doing it yourself is kind of hard. And hopefully you'll have people that have expertise that can help you like a publisher. And that's, that's really nice. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Um, uh, where can people find you? Uh, uh, well, hopefully they will go to gray area podcast, G R E Y spelled like European mm-hmm. G R E Y gray area podcast.com. You can see a list of my RSS and all my episodes there, or again, like iTunes anywhere. Um, and then Twitter is like at Genesee, J E N E S E E or at gray area podcast. Not like a huge, <laughs> you can kind of imagine, like I'm not a huge social pe- media person myself. Like I will tweet occasionally. I'm more of a Facebook person, but because I'm running like, you know, a million accounts for everyone <laughs> else. Sometimes I'm like, I just don't have, the th- I can't make my own content today. And of course, there's uh, Good Shepherd Entertainment, which is Good Shepherd ENT. Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd dot games, which is interesting. Yeah, it's Good Shepherd S H E P H E R D dot games. Oh yeah, there it is. Yes. I have right here. Good Shepherd games, and then at Good Shepherd Ent for Twitter E N T. There's also is there also like a Facebook presence. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Facebook. We're we're in all the places, basically except Instagram. <laughs> Everybody Instagram. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is everything. So just round this out with one thing, and that is what's something that'd be interesting for listeners to know? Something <laughs> give me like a subject. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess supposing gaming or in publishing or just in life, I don't know. <laughs> I, I went for the James Lipton, like something cool. Something cool. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I mean, if you're the type of person that has a lot of, like, you're a jack of all trade, you know, you like to do a little bit of everything and you have a lot of, like, various skills of whatever levels and you're interested in the gaming industry, you know, think about publishing. It is definitely a viable option that a lot of people just are not aware of. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't have to use, you don't have to be a coder, you know, you don't have to be there with your C++. You know, you can, you can still be a part of the industry if that's something that inspires you um, without having to be, you know, a developer. That's very good to know. 
had I known about this, I'll say when I was in my like early twenties, I would have looked into this for sure. So then uh Genesee Gray, the communications manager at Good Shepherd uh, Entertainment, thank you very much for being a guest. And thank you everyone thank for you. Oh sorry. <laughs> thank you for having me. And thank you everyone for watching and listening, and I'll see y'all next time. I had fun, hope everyone had fun listening. That's what's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks for coming by, and see you next time.